If you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We are going to look at eight verses, eight, nine verses this morning. And uh, I'll share a little bit more of what we're going to be doing in this whole series. But I wanted to start off as you're hopefully turning to the passage, as well as, once again, all our notes are on our Bible app. So just turn to our Bible app and you can follow along. I wanted to start off and kind of give you a scenario that I want you to think about before we get started here. Now, if you will, just imagine with me that you had the privilege of introducing who Jesus Christ was in a stadium filled with people. And my question to you is, how would you introduce Jesus Christ? When Steve Harvey, some of you know who he is, he's a famous comedian. When he was traveling around the world, and what happened was he had this powerful encounter with God. And in fact, uh, just through different relationships with different pastors and different people, he really decided to commit his life to Christ. And as he was traveling around and giving different com- uh, comedy shows, one of the things that he would do is he would always try to squeeze in there something about who Jesus Christ is, how great it is. And that's one of the beautiful things as a Christ follower, to find ways to incorporate your relationship with Jesus Christ into the daily things that you do, whether it's at work, whether it's with your friends, with your family members. And so one of the things that he decided to do is to close out all his comedy shows. He decided to talk about Jesus and to introduce him as if he is a person that's going to come up and speak, like Steve's not the main event, Jesus Christ is, because that's what his life is about. That's what changed his life. And so it's kind of interesting because there was a a video of him, someone recorded, of him closing out a comedy show in a stadium filled with thousands of people, and he introduces Jesus Christ. And so I want you to watch this video and see this introduction of Jesus Christ. So let's watch this together. How would you introduce Jesus Christ? If we're honest, I don't think we will introduce it like that. That's like a whole different level. And if you know anything about introductions, you know there's usually two different ways that people do it. First of all, uh, some people do it very formally. So you will see it whenever there's a speech or a person who's going to give a talk and they're introduced, the person comes with a sheet of paper or some kind of tablet, and they're reading off all the accolades and everything that they have accomplished, the guest speaker. Or there's the other way, which is a little bit more personal. And they don't need any notes. They know the person very well. And they're able to introduce them in that personal way with stories. And it's my prayer that every single one of us in this room who's a part of our church will be able to introduce Jesus Christ to anybody, even a stranger or a close family member or even a close friend, that you will be able to introduce Jesus Christ in a personal way. You could list off all the things that he has accomplished, but it has no meaning to you. In many ways, it doesn't help. And the point I'm trying to make is this. The more you know Jesus, 
not just in your intellect, but the more you know him through experience and different encounters of who he is and what he has meant to you, then your introduction will be that much more personal. As we start this eight-part series on the book of Colossians, and we're calling this series Ultimate, which will lead us all the way up to Easter Sunday. As many of you know, that's a very important Sunday for all the churches around the world. So these next eight weeks is the preparation for us to focus on the greatest event in that week of the Passion Week, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose again from the dead. And what we're hoping is this, that many of you in this room will be able to know Jesus in a deeper and a more intimate and personal way so that whenever you have to introduce him, because he's such an important part of your life, that you will be able to do it in a way that will honor him and glorify him. As Pastor Bo and I, we were kind of thinking about what we need to cover next. One of the things that we kind of thought through and talked through is the importance of how we sometimes have to switch in the series that we do. Sometimes we do a lot of topical series in our Sundays. So we talk about different topics that are relevant for the people in our church. Sometimes we switch and we try to do something that's a book in the Bible. So as I was sitting down thinking, like, why are we doing this series? I wanted to lay out for us some reasons why we're doing this series. The first of all is this. We are praying that we will see more Bible literacy. We have become a generation that knows less Bible than ever before. It is amazing how sometimes we might even take snippets of Bible, but it's totally out of context. And one of the passions that Pastor Bo and I have is that we want to see every single one of you to become Bible literate. Not just knowing the stories, but understanding the Bible because you're studying it, because you're doing the BRPs, the Bible reading plan. Many of you are observing and making these applications in your life. So that is our hope and prayer, that you will become more Bible literate rather than being illiterate and not knowing much about Scripture. Because I'm going to tell you right now, there will come a time Well, you will not have a Bible study leader or a life group leader. I will not always be there. Pastor Bo will not always be there. Your mentors will not always be there. Some of you might be placed around the world where there is no church. Or maybe a church where it's dying and God is bringing you there because he wants to use you to revive, maybe even help build community of what you experience. And if you do not have a firm foundation in the word of God, you're not going to survive. I have seen so many college students excited for Jesus Christ while they're in college because we have all the structure and everything laid out before them. And guess what happens? As soon as they go to a new place, they crumble. Because instead of depending on their relationship with Christ, it has been based on meetings and gatherings. And not only that, but single adult life is hard. Every stage you move on to is hard. And that's why I want to challenge us to be more Bible literate. The second thing is this. Through this series, one of the reasons why we're doing it is because we want to see a greater sense of belief, trust, confidence in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why we're doing this series, because this whole book is about the supremacy of Christ. It's about the sufficiency of Christ, that he doesn't need any of us. 
He could do whatever he wants to do. One of the things I've also been noticing, not only here in Asia, but even when I go to speak in different places, is that somehow we have not really understood who Jesus Christ is in all of his supremacy, in all of his sufficiency. This is the reason why some of you complain. This is the reason why some of you, when you go through difficult times, a lot of you want to just give up. Because unless you know that Jesus Christ is supreme over everything in your life, that he is sufficient, that he doesn't need anything from us, he exists from the beginning of time, and he will exist to the end of time, because he transcends time. And when you understand that God is this kind of God, that's when worship will flow. That's when you will humble yourself. You understand the sovereignty of God. The third reason why we're doing this, and especially in the book of Colossians, is because there is a battle for our hearts. Some of us do not know how to wrestle with our hearts. We have become a generation who loves comfort, who loves things that are easy, things that are convenient. And all throughout scripture, you see these analogies of physical exertion, not to earn something, but it's a result of something that we will persevere, not only because Christ will help us to persevere, but we have to do our part. So you will see this in this book, because the greater understanding that you gain from the supremacy of Christ, then when you begin to see other distractions in your life, you're going to be able to battle in your heart to put Christ as the ultimate. Some of you are losing that battle. Idols have captured your attention. Different things, the different gods, small g, has captured your imagination rather than Christ who is supreme over all things. I hope that we will continue to battle for our hearts with all the different idols and gods in our lives. And lastly, I'm praying that through this eight-part series that we will be able to boast in the life we have in Christ. Those two words, in Christ, you will see quite often in the book of Colossians. What does it mean to be in Christ? That now we had our old self, now we have a new self that is in Christ. And so anything that we have and anything that we're able to do, anything good that comes into our life is because of Jesus Christ. Can I get a good amen to that? This is the reason why we boast in him and who he is, not in ourselves and what we're able to do. I believe that if we accomplish these things by studying the book of Colossians, then we will see our church grow in depth as well as in breadth. I'm praying that God will help us as we grow as Christ's disciples. I was thinking about this. I go, if every single one of us can experience this ultimate that's found in Christ, who is supreme and self-sufficient, or he is sufficient in all things, then that's when we're going to be able to make other disciples of knowing why Jesus is his ultimate in our lives, who will then make other disciples, and that's how the church will continue to grow. Why the sermon title, Ultimate, and why I think it's very appropriate for us, in the Cambridge Dictionary, it defines ultimate as this, the most extreme or important because either the original or final or the best or worst. As we know in this context, it's the best. We want you to experience 
the ultimate, the best. And that's found in Jesus Christ. Another definition in the Cambridge Dictionary says the best, most extreme example of something of greatest of its kind. I pray that you will experience the ultimate life. You will experience the ultimate joy, the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate sense of fulfillment that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And as we believe that Christ is our ultimate, then we'll be able to live our lives for his glory. I like what John Flavel has said. He's a 17th century theologian. Uh, he was amongst the Puritans. And listen to what he writes in his book, The Method of Grace. He says, cast your eyes among all created beings. Survey the universe. You will observe strength in one, beauty in a second, faithfulness in a third, wisdom in a fourth. But you shall find none excelling in them all as Christ does. Bread has one quality, water another, clothing another, medicine another, but none has them all in itself as Christ does. He is the bread to the hungry, water to the thirsty, a garment to the naked, healing to the wounded, and whatever a soul can desire is found in him. What a great reminder. There are many beautiful things in this world, but it's hard to find all of these things in one. And what he suggests is that one that you can find it in is in Jesus Christ. I pray that he will become our ultimate. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing for today is simply this, that we flourish in our mission when we let the gospel nourish our passion. That we will flourish in our mission. The thing that God is calling you to do, calling us to do as a family of God, that we will flourish in our mission when we let the gospel nourish our passion. It starts with the gospel as it fuels our passion for him and for the things of his heart. That's how we're going to fulfill the calling that he has given to us. There's two things I'm going to highlight for us, things that we must remember of how we flourish in our mission when we let the gospel nourish our passion. The first thing is this. I want to talk about the ripples of the gospel, how the gospel, which is oftentimes just the seed, it begins to ripple out beyond yourself. I want to talk about the ripples of the gospel. Let's go ahead and read. First, um, excuse me. Let's go ahead and read Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 and 3. If I could find it as well, sorry. Oh, the joys of technology. Let me go ahead and read it. It says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Let me just stop here, and I want to cover these three verses before we move on to anything else. From the start of this letter, we get a, a little bit of a background of the author, the place, the people. What we notice is that Paul is the writer of this letter, and he wrote this letter to the believers in Colossae. Now, you need to understand that this letter was written while he was in Rome in prison. 
And so there are a couple things that we notice about Paul. The first is I want to talk about his purpose because we're talking about flourishing in our mission. And what I want you to notice is he was very clear on his purpose. Paul understood that being an apostle of Jesus was a calling and part of God's will. He knew that the calling was not something that he decided on his own. There is something very powerful about knowing that you are called to something. Especially being called to the purposes of God. Not by your own will or because someone told you this is what you should be doing. But when you discover and understand that it's God who called you. Because you didn't want to do it. Or maybe you didn't want to go there. But God is moving you, convicting you, and calling you to do something. That, that, is, that is literally one of the most powerful things you could experience in your life. That's why I'm, let me pause here and I'm just wondering how many of us in this room have this kind of certainty when it comes to the things that you are doing or planning on doing. Do you know what it is that God is calling you to do? There's so many of us right now in this room that you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. That's why a lot of times you get frustrated, bored, you get apathetic. Who said that after you graduate from high school, you have to go to college? Who said that after you graduate from college, you have to work right away? Well, you might have to because you don't have any money and your parents are kicking you out. Why are you in that major? Why are you at that workplace? And I'm not here to shame you. I'm just telling you the reality of life. Some of you in this room are at a particular job. You guys are at a particular position. Some of you are at a particular major. Not because you prayed and you know that it was the will of God. It's just because someone told you. Or this is the thing that makes the most money. Or this was the only job that opened up. Why are you in this church and not in many other churches? Great churches. Oh, because my friend is here. That's not going to cut it. I don't even have to know you. But if that's the only reason why you're in our church, if that friend no longer shows up or you're no longer friends with them, you probably might not come. This is the reason why when we do experiencing membership, we make it very clear our purpose, our vision, our values, why we do what we do. Because as you're sitting there and listening, what you're saying is, can I be a part of this? Is this is what God, is he calling me to this? That's why I think whatever you're involved in, you got to ask, do I know if it's the will of God? Some of you who are in college, you join so many different societies, you join all these different clubs. Do you know why? Some of you even haven't prayed about it. It's just something you just decided to do. This is the reason why in our church, we don't just open up things up so that whoever wants to do it, I mean, we, we try to encourage you through the leaders to pray. Pray about going on missions. Pray about serving in different capacities. Because if you don't know it's the will of God, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to get very difficult. I'll say this. There were many times serving as a pastor, there were times when I wanted to give up. It, it is hard. you got to be out of your mind to think that you want to be a pastor. I, if you do, then talk to me afterwards. 
you know, it's kind of like you scare someone into like certain kind of, like, it will kill you. Research has shown that uh, pastors and surgeons have the same type of duty or calling because you're always at the beckoning call of somebody else, and it's usually an emergency. And then they also checked out the the pastor's wife and the surgeon's wife, and they realized there's a lot of similarities because they're always busy and gone. But the only difference is the surgeon has more money so that they could sedate uh, the wives, whatever, so they could buy bags and all this other stuff. So you got to pray for the pastor's wife. <laughs> uh, if it wasn't God who showed me through that dream that my mom had, if it wasn't through that conviction that I really felt like this inescapable conviction, I couldn't escape from it. God kept on bringing me back to this thing. I'm going to tell you right now, I would have probably thought about doing something else. You need this conviction that this is God's purpose and God's will for you. Whatever you do. Another thing you notice about Paul is not only his purpose, but he understood his partnership with others. You see the significance of Paul's relationship with Timothy and the Colossians. Now, you need to understand here that here's Paul in his relationship with Timothy was one of discipleship and one of mentoring. Timothy was a partner in the ministry. If you look at Acts chapter 16, you will know the story about how Paul decided to take Timothy on his second missionary journey. And they experienced so many things together. We also see Paul's partnership with the Colossians. Now, some of you might not know this, but you need to understand that Paul did not start the church in Colossae. And the reason why that's important is because even though he didn't visit Colossae and he didn't start the church there, he calls them saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Look at verse 3 again. We see that Paul and Timothy were filled with thanksgiving or thankfulness as they prayed for the Colossians. I think one of the greatest things about partnership in the ministry is to pray for each other. Can I ask you, when was the last time you prayed for your life group leader? When was the last time you prayed even in your ministry teams? Like prayer and that thankful heart that kind of oozes out of your life because you understand the gospel that causes you to want to pray for people because you're doing ministry together is such a vital part to partnership in ministry. I am just so thankful, those of you who might not know, like I've shared this in different contexts. I am thankful that if some of you already have met Pastor David, you know why uh, God has brought us together and I'm just thankful for him. But I'm just thankful because there were people in his church that did not know me personally, but as they heard about us starting the church here in Hong Kong, they decided, to, the three families decided to pull in money to help support our family for the first two, two and a half years. And as you know, to live in Hong Kong, it's not easy. And all I knew is that, all I know is this, is that some of my responsibilities, if I had to work so that we could have food on the table and then also to do pastoring, there are a lot of stuff that I personally don't think we would have been able to accomplish in the last three and a half years. So when they supported our family, it freed us up so that I don't have to worry about finances or other things, but then I'm able to 
focus on what I'm called to do. And my wife is able to focus on what she's called to do. And then it freed us to do and start this church mind here. Partners in ministry who pray for you, who are generous to you, generous in time, generous in love. Another thing that I want you to note when it comes to his partnership in this city of Colossae is that this was a pagan city. It was located near Ephesus in Asia Minor, which is the modern-day Turkey. So think about where Turkey is. And you see that in this city, not only was it pagan, but there were a lot of Jewish people here. Therefore, Paul had to address some of the issues that they were facing. One of them was this paganism, the temptation to go into paganism. Because that's the religion that they were part of. And so paganism entailed a lot of immorality. But you are now in Christ. You're not supposed to live that way now. So he addresses it in this letter. And we'll talk about it in the next eight weeks. Another thing that began to happen is that they began to mix some of that pagan religion with the Jewish law. But Paul is constantly reminding people, you are in Christ. You no longer have to fulfill all these Old Testament laws. You cannot earn salvation. It's already done. Because Jesus Christ is supreme and he is sufficient to offer salvation. So I want you to understand he knew his purpose. He knew this partnership that he needed in the gospel. And here's something else that we learn about the ministry in Colossae as we continue in verse 4 and 5. Read verse 4 and 5 first. Listen to what it says. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Let me pause here. The first thing that I want you to see in this ministry in Colossae, in the city of Colossae, is the start of the gospel. This is where the ripple is going to start coming out. Right away, we notice that there are three key elements of the Christian life, which is faith, love, and hope. Now, some of you, your mind should be running quickly here because the trio of virtues, love, faith, and hope, is something that Paul constantly mentions over and over again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, listen to what it says. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. What is he trying to say? The start of the gospel in your heart, listen to me carefully, is that when you have hope in this gospel, then we're able to demonstrate faith and love on a daily basis. A greater hope that is placed on who God is will then help us to have greater confidence and faith to trust in this God, who then as we begin to trust in him, we'll be able to love people around us. Those three things are oftentimes in a set of trios. Because you can love, but you can love without faith. And that's just human love. You can have faith, but if it's not done for the love of God and loving people, then it's your own human effort. And the only thing that will enable you to love and have faith is that you have a hope 
in this gospel message that no matter what happens to you, even though you don't know the future in your life, but you have this hope that as long as I have Jesus, and if something kills me, something happens to me, I have this hope that I will spend the rest of eternity with Jesus Christ. That enables you then to live out in faith. Now, let me pause here. This is very important. I want you to understand this. Some of you, the seed of the gospel is not rippling out. And let me explain why. Some of you, where you put your hope is in your parents' approval. Some of you are major people pleasers. Some of you, you put your hope on temporary things, success. Success comes and goes. Some of you put hope in relational harmony. But I want you to know that when you are trying to work so hard for harmony, a lot of times you're going to have to give up on sometimes your values. When you live for something that is something that is rooted in Scripture, you're going to offend people. Of course, we're going to share the gospel in a very winsome way. But if some of you hate relational conflict, some of you will compromise and even deny Jesus Christ. So where you put your hope will show if you live by faith and you live by love or not. Because if your hope is in people's approval, then some of you will not take steps of faith. You'll be scared because they might not approve of you. So instead of Christ being supreme and ultimate, It's those people that you're trying to find approval from. They're your ultimate. They're your God. Whether we want to admit it or not, it is clearly evident by how you live by faith or how you don't. When you love unlovable people, I'm going to tell you right now, it it, it is very difficult. I think all of us can concede. It is difficult to love what we call the EGR. Do you know what? EGR people are extra grace required people where you have to really dig in deep and just give extra grace. Now, let's be honest. You have at least one of them in your life. Can I get a good amen to that? Wow, that's a loud amen. We all have an EGR person, at least one. In our lives, some of you are surrounded by them. And you're like, woe is me. Which, by the way, sometimes God places those people because he's trying to break you. Hello. But when you think about it, some of these people who are in your life, I'm telling you right now, it is difficult to love. So you could try to be loving, you could try to be nice, but it'll last for a little bit, a week, maybe a month, but then afterward, like, forget it. They just drain me. But how can we love? Because part of loving is doing it in faith. And how do you have faith? It's because you have hope in this God, in salvation. Not in people, not in other things. Are you guys with me? Do you guys understand what I'm trying to say here? This is the reason why it is critical to know where we are placing our hope. When you place your hope in Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate 
That's when you're going to be able to demonstrate faith and love. Oswald Chambers in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, writes this, Build your hope on him. No matter how many things seem to be pressing in on you, be determined to push them aside and look to him. Our hope is all about who it is that you're looking to. And I pray there will be Christ. Another thing you will notice is not only the start of the gospel, but then in verse 6, you will see the spread of the gospel. Let's read verse 6. Listen to what it says. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. What we notice here is that when a person understands the grace of God and the grace of truth, then there is fruit. The imagery of the gospel is being used here as bearing fruit and increasing. This is a reference to a tree that is bearing the fruit. It's growing. And not just growing, but we see that it starts off from what? A small seed. So the ripples of the gospel simply says that if you understand the gospel message, that what it should be doing in your life right now is that you should be bearing fruit and it should be increasing and impacting more people in your life. So once again, the seed is the gospel. And when it's planted in a person's heart, then it's going to grow and eventually produce fruit. The NLT says this, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's grace. Can I just challenge us as I just bring a close to this first point? Ever since you understood the gospel message, has it been changing you? Are you producing fruit? Are you living more by faith than ever before? Are you trying to please him and not other people more than ever before? Are you more loving to sometimes the extra grace required people than ever before? Are you more generous than ever before? Are you more patient than ever before? Are you forgiving than ever before? And all I can say to you is if you cannot answer that with a resounding yes, then something is slowing that growth down. And oftentimes, it's our sin, our lack of faith, the sin of unbelief. We're trusting in ourselves. We're being too self-sufficient. You know, it's been really encouraging to see some of you in our church growing in the gospel paradigm because we've been talking a lot about this. And the reason why it's encouraging is sometimes even when you pray, I can hear the gospel paradigm in your prayer. Even the way you try to talk through different issues that have come up in your life. Sometimes I don't even have to counsel. I just sit there and let you talk and you counsel yourself. And I could just sense that the gospel paradigm is taking shape in your life. Because you're not responding the same way that you did last year. Your time at home just recently for Chinese New Year was much different than what it was last year. That should be a praise. Because you're understanding that you're deserving of nothing. And because the gospel is so deeply now rooted in your heart, 
It's growing. You're fostering it. You're watering it. You're helping it to grow as you read the word, as you pray, as you confess your sins, as you receive accountability. You're growing and people are seeing it and fruits are coming out and they're like, wow, like something has changed within you. Man, I knew you freshman year. You're completely different now. Last year, you were so stressed out at work. It was all about work and this. And now just your countenance and the things that you talk about, even your prayer request is different. I want you to also quickly note that we get a glimpse of Paul's global perspective. He reminds us that the whole gospel is for the whole world. He says it's producing fruit in a person's life and it's spreading and increasing around the world. How about us this morning? Is the gospel taking root in your heart? Or are we still operating on the human paradigm? I'm wondering if we sat there and did some reflection, is the gospel rippling out in your life? Have you seen some fruitfulness? What areas of fruitfulness are you seeing? And does your understanding of the gospel give you a burden to reach the lost or reaching nations? I pray it does. Let me quickly close with the second point. So once again, the flourishing of the mission that God has given us. Personally, for each one of you, and as well as corporately as a whole church, the flourishing of this mission happens when we begin to nourish just within our hearts this gospel And that's what helps to grow the passion. So now I talked about the rippling of the gospel. It starts with the seed, the gospel planted in your heart, and it keeps on growing and increasing, and you're fruitful. I want to close out with these two verses in 7 and 8. Not only the ripples of the gospel, but you see the relationships from the gospel. Let me go ahead and read 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. We notice that Epaphras played a very important role in bringing the gospel to the Colossians. When you center your life around Christ, and you're able to build some strong gospel relationships, that's when it's going to be encouraging and strengthening. Let let me help you to see some things that comes out of a gospel-centered relationship. First of all, you will notice there's teaching. We just read this. Paul is saying, this gospel message, the, the gospel of truth, that you learned it from what he's saying is this when this gospel message was heard by the Colossians it was Epaphras who taught the people the word of truth and established and strengthened their faith I want you to notice this the word learn do you see the word learn it is related to the word disciple in the original language. When I was studying this passage, I I got this, I'm like, wow, this is very insightful in terms of God revealing to me that word learn is the same word 
as, it's, it's from the same root word as disciple. And then as I thought about it, I go, yeah, the word disciple simply means a learner. That's why Jesus used the same word in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, when he says, take my yoke upon you. And he says, what? Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What he's saying is, take my yoke upon you and be discipled by me. Be taught by me. Learn from me. I want to just challenge us with this question. Do you have people in your life that you're learning from? If you don't, you got to find those people. Epaphrat taught the Colossian believers. Another thing that you notice about relationships from this gospel message is not only is there a sense of learning or this teaching, but then there is trustworthiness. Paul refers to Epaphras as our beloved fellow servant. Let me give you different translations of that phrase. Our beloved co-worker. The message translation translates it as our friend and close associate. Paul also says that Epaphras was a faithful minister of Christ. The message translation says he was one reliable worker for Christ. I could always depend on him. There is something about finding people who are trustworthy when it comes to doing ministry together that is so important. Can I ask us, do you have people in your life that you feel like are partners in the ministry? As I think about that, I'm just so thankful of all the different people that God has brought my way. Some, they were only with me for a period of time. Others, uh, they have been with me for many, many years. And we have done ministry together, and we were able to experience so many great things. And a lot of it, I don't think I would have been able to do personally without some of the things that they have done, and we did it together. Some of the things that we're witnessing even now here in this church. I pray that you will find partners in the ministry. You know what I noticed? We have too many people trying to do ministry on their own. They're not going to survive. I'm going to tell you this. I have seen too many people trying to do ministry on their own, and they do not survive. They might survive for about two years, three years, five years. But if you don't have the partners who are supporting you, praying for you, that's why in our church we strongly believe in commissioning the pastors, or if we do any kind of missions project, we're not doing it just amongst the 15 of us or whoever goes, but we're doing it as a whole church, knowing that you're praying for us, knowing that you're supporting us. It's important to know that there are partners in the ministry. The last thing that we notice as we talk about relationships from the gospel is there are testimonies. As I read in verse 8, we notice that Paul mentions how Epaphras was made known to him by the Colossians' love in the Spirit. So when Epaphras went to meet up with Paul, he probably shared about all the great things that God was doing in the life of the Colossians. And the one specific thing that he testified about the Colossians to Paul was about their love, which is from the Spirit of God. Their love for God, their love for people. I think there's something powerful about sharing testimonies. Would you not agree? Can I get a good amen to that? How many of you were able to hear some testimonies this past life group this week of what people experienced at the retreat? 
different convictions, how God spoke to them. There's something powerful about hearing testimonies that helps us to really begin to love people and to pray for people and build those solid gospel-centered relationships. Uh, Whenever uh, our team, we send a team on missions, one of the things that we do every single trip is that we have an opportunity for every single member in that team to share a testimony. We decided to call it Lifestimony because it's life story and testimony put together. So a Lifestimony. So every single missions project, like just during some of our downtime, sometimes we have like a little break before we do the ministry. Uh, sometimes it's late at night when we're just kind of chilling. And so we go around and we just share our life story. Like, what are some things that God's been doing? Why are these things that we experienced in our lives? How does that connect with things that God is trying to show us right now? And it's so powerful because I sit there every single time. And usually I end up becoming, you know, the last person sharing. But I just sit there and I just listen to all these stories and I am just amazed. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm like, no wonder. You know, you know the aha moment? No wonder. You're like, uh huh, uh huh, yes. So, so after all that passed, you just sit there, you're like, how in the world did you even become a, a believer? Like, how in the world are you still alive? Like, after doing all those crazy things, right? And sometimes I'm like, how are you still like functioning normally, especially with everything that you've experienced psychologically, physically? Like, how are you still like functioning? And as I look at these people, as I listen to the stories, the only conclusion is this. It's the grace of God. And when you begin to realize that it's God working in them, what it does is that it begins to build stronger, gospel-centered relationships. Like sometimes there are people that annoy me. I'm like, oh my God. But then I'm listening to their story. I know it sounds bad as a pastor, right? I love everybody. No, I don't. Uh, You know. Like, honestly, sometimes I'm like, that person annoys me. Why are they like this? And, but then as I'm listening to their story, I'm like, man, what if I went through something like that? What if one of my kids went through something like that? And I don't know why, but as I begin to listen, and at the end, we all go around and affirm that person, uh, and then we pray for them and do all this stuff. Like, I just know that in that moment of listening and trying to affirm and try to pray for them, All I know is that something changes in my heart. Because I know why they're the way they are. It gives me more compassion. It gives me more empathy. I pray that you will find these types of gospel-centered relationships. So here's Paul starting off this whole letter to the people of Colossae. And before he gets into all this stuff of things that he's going to rebuke the people about and to remind them of the supremacy of Jesus Christ and all this, he just simply talks about the gospel. That the seed of the gospel has been planted in your hearts and now it's rippling out. It's bearing fruit. It is increasing. It's changing you. And from that, your relationship with people around you will start changing. It's going to be different. That's why the one thing, once again, is that we flourish in our mission when we let the gospel nourish our passion. Can I just give us some quick next steps? And we'll close here. 
The first thing that I want to just keep on encouraging you to do is become more gospel fluent. It's a language. It's a mindset that you need. How many of you speak two languages? Raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. Two languages. That's, that's the majority of you. How many of you speak three languages? Wow. Okay. How many of you speak four languages? Wow. Something like, yeah, I speak this like dialect that goes, ar, ar, ar. you know, I don't know. Uh, there's so many dialects. Whenever someone speaks two languages, it's, it's awesome. Three is like cool, really cool, really awesome, awesome. Like four, I only saw like two hands go up. Four languages, my goodness. And just, just because you know how to swear in that other language doesn't mean you know that language. Okay, let's just, I want to make sure we're clear on this. But how many of you, majority of you, who speak at least two languages or even three, how many of you know that sometimes you start speaking in one language and then you switch into the other one, just like unconsciously? You know what I'm talking about. Because sometimes you're not speaking in your natural, your first language, you're speaking in the second language, but as you're speaking in the second language, you switch over to the first language. And sometimes when you're speaking in your first language, you switch over to the second language. Are you with me? And this is part of it is because the way your mind is wired up. Definitely, if you speak more languages, it means your mind is more complex. It could be good and bad. It just depends on how you look at it. It's very evolved. And this is what I mean by gospel fluency. Some of you, and I'm telling you, majority of us, our first language is human paradigm. That's just natural to us. We don't even have to try But to learn this new language of the gospel, like it literally would take focus and you got to concentrate to be able to speak this gospel language. That's why it takes practice. That's why you need people around you to kind of, what's that word again? Oh, yeah. Or when you use a certain word and you're like, do you know what that word means? No, I heard it from somewhere else. And they're using it completely wrong. which some of you might know what happened two years ago. I was giving a sermon at the Ignite conference. Oh, by the way, if you want to sign up for that, that will be good too. <laughs> and I was trying to use, put the one. And I decided I was going to use this one phrase because I learned it through my app and stuff. I wanted to show them how cool I was. So I'm giving this illustration and I was trying to help them to understand, it's like, you know, this idea of no, you know. So I said, male, male. And all the Chinese people are like, huh? Like gave me this nasty look, like I just swore or something. And then they started giggling. And afterwards, they, because I was preaching, so they couldn't be like, stop, pastor, stop right now. Because it wasn't a black church, you know, but he was like, stop, stop right now. They, they couldn't do that. So they were just listening and they're laughing to themselves. And later on, I found out that it's not male. Because male means what? I don't have. So I'm trying to explain I don't have when I really mean like, no, I don't want. Which goes back to the gospel fluency. Now I know. And even when I hear on the MTR, 
Mayo, mayo. I'm like, I do not have. I do not have. I mean, like, it is like ingrained in my mind. Become more gospel fluent. Speak it more. Hang around with people who speak it. It will help you. The second thing is this. Bond with mission-minded people. When I mean mission, it's not so much mission going and spreading the gospel, but mission is that they live on purpose, with a purpose. Find those people that you can hang out with. Take them out for dinner or lunch or coffee. Say, hey, can I buy you coffee? I just want to sit down with you for 45 minutes or an hour, and I just want to bombard you with questions. Like, find those people. Why did they do what they did in the last three-some years? This idea of being missions-minded is to say that I am here on a purpose. The reason why I live on this earth, there's a reason and a purpose. So when you bond together, get to know some of these people more, it helps you. It elevates your mindset. It elevates even your perspective of the world. It elevates you in terms of why you do what you do. Get to know some of these people and build relationship with them. And then the last one is this. Boast about Christ in all you do. I pray that as we go over the book of Colossians, that one of the things that will come forth is that we will always boast about Jesus Christ because he is our ultimate. Amen? As we close, I want to show you this quick video of the gospel. It's a spoken word. And this person took each of the letters of the word gospel and he's explaining what the gospel is. And this is my challenge for you as you listen in closing. I want you to listen to how he presents the gospel and ask yourself, do I understand these things? Because this is a a seed of the gospel that I pray that all of you have right now. How is it going to grow into fruitfulness and increasing impact to people around you? So as you listen to it, learn the language of the gospel. And I pray that we will speak, pray the gospel to one another and to others. Let's close with this. Let's stand together as we close. I know some of us wish that we were as eloquent as that man. But we've been talking a lot about the gospel paradigm in our church. And all you have to do is just at least remember the four pillars. Which is God's creation, that everything he made was good. And then the fall because of sin entering in. That's why you see the mess that you see in your life, in the world around you. And then the third pillar is redemption. That God sent his one and only son to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. And then restoration that now we're called to live this life in such a way to restore all things back to what God intended. It will never be perfect because we still have sin in this world until when we see Jesus Christ face to face. But we do, that's our purpose. That's what our mission is, to keep on reflecting the beauty of Christ here on this earth. So whether it's through music, art, business, whatever it is, everything we do is to bring forth the glory of God. That's the gospel. And I'm praying that this gospel message is not something you heard in Sunday school alone. It's not something that will get you a ticket into heaven and then you live your own life. 
My sincere prayer is that this gospel message will so go deep into every single crevice of your life, that the recesses of your heart, that every single time you're tempted or even distracted to turn away to the human paradigm, you will always turn back to this gospel message. I want you to think about this. Some of you who were there, I mean, part of a lot of the testimonies I've been hearing of how God spoke to some of us at the retreat. It wasn't just through the message. It wasn't just through the times when we were sharing at night. But those of you who were at the retreat, I think where God encountered some of us is during the last night during the worship time. And I was thinking about that. Why is worship such a vital part in terms of not only our church, but why we do what we do is because in that brief moment, whether it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes in light of eternity, in that moment, we get our eyes away from ourselves. We get our eyes away from circumstances and we're just able to fix our eyes on Jesus, worshiping him. And that's when it just feels right. And I'm praying that that will be one of the like characteristic marks of our church. That every single member, we're growing deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that he becomes our ultimate. So when there's people that you want to try to please, you'll be like, wait a minute, I'm tempted. This is the natural tendency, but I'm here to please God above anyone else. Even those people that demand so much from me, you're, I am here to please God. When you're chasing after all the pleasures of this world, you can say those things are temporary. The greatest pleasure is when I'm in the presence of God. When some of you are afraid of the uncertainties of your life and you want to trust in yourself or you want to rely upon yourself, that's the human tendency, the natural paradigm. But you say, I'm going to trust in the Lord and lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledge him. And he will make my path straight. It's just thinking Christ-centered in everything that we do. That's what's going to change our lives. That's when he will become our ultimate. It starts with the gospel. Let it ripple out. Start building gospel-centered relationships. That's how we're going to flourish in our mission. And God developing and nurturing more of this passion to love him and love people. So Lord, I just pray at this moment for every single one of us. I know that the Sunday after the retreat is not always easy because already some of us have failed in our commitment. Some of us are tired. Some of us are discouraged. Some of us already have gone back to the things of this world. I just pray, God, that you will help us to fix our eyes less on ourselves and less on the things around us and fix it more on you. I'm praying, Lord, for each and every single one of us in this room that the gospel message would take deep root. Not the surface level stuff, not the Sunday school stuff, Lord, but Lord, deep inside our hearts that will bring the satisfaction, that will bring the security, that will bring the sense of belonging and acceptance that we long for in the world because when we have you we have everything Lord 
You're more than enough for us. So we don't have to look for it anywhere else. We just have to turn back to you again and again. And I just pray that for every single person who even this week felt this pull, the heart that is prone to wander, God, that we'll come back to you. I want to give you about a minute or so just just say your own personal prayers to God will you do that you know where you are more than anyone else whether you've drifted far away or maybe just you've been tempted and we want to make Christ our ultimate and the only way we can do that is when we repent we turn away from the things that have been drawing us away from God says God I repent of these things I've broken your heart. I want to turn back to you. I want to encourage you to be able to turn to God this morning. Let's repent. Then let's receive His mercy, His grace, the gospel that's alive for us. And then we can respond with a recommitment to say, once again, I need you. Once again, here I am. So go ahead and just, let's respond to God. Will you lift up a short prayer? Let him hear you. Just go ahead and say those prayers. And let's make him our ultimate once again. Let's put him in the center of our lives.